0: Well, good morning. It's such a pleasure to be up here and to be bringing the word to you this morning. I'm just overjoyed. Um, it is a huge privilege and a huge responsibility, um, and I'm so thankful for it. If you would, turn to Psalm 107, it's the 107th Psalm. When I came to Oak Park uh, almost seven years ago now, I was in a time of needing a lot of healing. And uh, so Oak Park provided that for me just as they ministered the word and as they taught and they loved and, um, and as you all loved and cared for me. I mean, Oak Park has been just such a um, tremendous blessing. And then I very quickly went into a season of waiting, I think, as I look back, it was very much a season of waiting. And uh, that season of waiting was it proved difficult, it proved very difficult. And yet the Lord is so faithful. The Lord acts for those who wait for him. And um, man, I'm so thankful for that. And that season of waiting um, has, I guess you could say, paid off in the sense that the Lord has acted in so many ways. And so now I find myself in an incredible season of of blessing and season of thanksgiving. Um, There's so many things. I almost don't even want to start listing off things because I know I'll miss the biggest thing or something. But it's just been such an incredible time of blessing and in my life, uh, being married to my wife and, uh, and having our, our baby girl, Maggie, and, and uh, just incredible blessings, um, just left and right. I just feel like the Lord just keeps dumping blessings, and, and so we're just, we're just so thankful. So I'm in a season of thanksgiving, um, and if you don't know, I'm a, a teacher, I'm a high school Bible teacher at Christian Academy of Indiana, and uh, one day I had my students often will turn to the Psalms and I'll have them pick one and we pray through it uh, just to open up class and one day I was leading that and and we were praying I was praying, I picked Psalm 107 and so I started praying through that and I thought man this just matches what I'm going through and the Lord just really used it to encourage me and and bless my heart and so it's been a real blessing to me and so um, if you would turn your attention to there, we're not going to read the whole thing at first but we are going to get Through a good chunk of it uh, as we go through this um, text together. Right now, we're just going to read one through three Psalm 107, one through three. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east, from the west from the north and from the south. What an encouragement. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of known, I guess, with, at least with my wife and my family, for having a really terrible, and probably my friends too, having a really terrible memory, um, really, really bad memory. I'm just kind of known for that. Um, but I, my wife has pointed out, graciously, that I do have the ability to remember really terrible you know, I get you wouldn't call them fights. We've never fought, have we? We've never fought. Yeah, but we, I just have the ability to remember really difficult conversations. I guess you'd say. So I have a terrible memory; can't remember much at all. But I can remember where we sat and what we ate and what we had. If it was a bad conversation, it's a curse. It's terrible. I hate it. Um, and I know now where I got it because my um, my mom. I went home for for uh, Christmas break one year, and uh, we were driving around. I was driving around with my mom. This was when I was in college. This is two thousand five probably um yeah 2005. five and we're driving around and we were just i was having a conversation with my mom and she like bit my head off and so i was like what is wrong with you like why are you so upset and she said oh i'm just mad at your dad so i thought mom dad's been dead for eight years and so I was like, what in the world are you talking about? And she seriously had had a grudge, and I hope she doesn't watch this, but <laughs> she seriously had had a grudge um, against my dad for, and I found out that was actually uh, for a Christmas 30 years prior. And she was still, like, upset. He'd been dead for eight years, but this is an event that happened 30 years ago where he didn't, like, buy her a present or something. And so she really held on to that, and I thought, man, I know where I get that. that really bad selective memory of only really bad things um, but isn't that the way we are often is that we only remember I think some of the bad things and if it's a really good thing then we kind of it, it's great and we celebrate and then we kind of move on and forget about it and we don't give thanks I think like we should I know that's me and that's a struggle that I have and I know that's a struggle that Israel had and you can know that because when you read through so much of the Old Testament so much of it is remember Remember and give thanks. And that's essentially what this psalm is. It's, it's a psalm of, hey, remember what God has done and give thanks for that. Give thanks for that. And so we're going to kind of conjure up some things uh, from way back in the history of Israel. And I, I know this will apply to us as well as we look through it of ways that uh, God has blessed that we can remember and give thanks. So, our context we're, we're in, we're in um, the context of the exile. And Israel and Judah have both been exiled um, because of God's curse on them, because of their sin. And uh, then they they cry out to God. He redeems them and saves them, delivers them. And now he's saying, hey, remember how you've been delivered? You need to give thanks. So he's telling them you need to have a good memory of the good things, of the things that God has done for you. What the psalm will say is the wondrous works of the Lord. So give thanks is essentially our main command this morning is give thanks. Um, Let me give you a little bit of context. If you look at the top of Psalm 107, you'll see a heading um, above it that says book five. And if you didn't know, there's five separate books, collections of psalms in the book of psalms. And uh, so, just briefly, the first book, those first chapters, is the theme is God alone can save. He's the only one who can save. The second book uh, has a theme of we are sinners and we are in trouble. This is where you find some of the Psalms of repentance and lament. The third book is, Save Us, O God. And this gets really dark. If you read through those psalms there in the third book, it gets really dark, and it's it's kind of sad to work through, but it's very helpful if you're in the midst of that, of, God, save me. The fourth book is, Remember How He Has Saved. And then the fifth book is, Praise God Because He Has Saved. Praise God Because He Has Saved. And so that's where we are, right in between four and five, we're moving to five, where it's hallelujah, he has saved, let's rejoice, let's give thanks, let's praise God. And if you look at the end of 106, that kind of forms for us a benediction of the fourth book, of the entire fourth book, and it wraps it up. If you look at the end of of Psalm 106, so just back up a verse there to, to verse 48 of Psalm 106, and it says, blessed be the Lord The God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. That forms for us a benediction. And then Psalm 107 begins with a call to worship. And just like we begin every service, we always begin with a call to worship. So Psalm 107 begins with a call to worship. And we just read it. Give thanks to the Lord. It's a command to, hey, what are we doing here? Like, what what are we supposed to be doing while we're gathered in worship? Give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he's good. Because his steadfast love endures forever. You can see that, that uh, call to worship in the very beginning. So we're going to dive more deeply into this. And uh, now that you have a little bit of context, I'm just going to pray for the Lord to bless our time. And uh, then we will dive in. Father, we are so thankful and grateful to have this opportunity to dig deeper into your word. Lord, I pray that you would uh, grant me grace to have a proper humility and understanding that I am um, nothing, and apart from you, I can do nothing, and yet a proper confidence as I stand behind your word, which does not return empty, but it succeeds in everything you've sent out to accomplish this. We've just prayed and just read. Bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that first verse, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. That is a refrain that repeats all throughout book five. And so you'll see that. You probably see that many times. Uh, It kind of repeats itself over and over. And it is a a call to remembrance. Remember what God has done. Um, And why are we giving thanks? Because he's good. His steadfast love endures forever. God's love, it can't be bought. It's free. Free grace is free. It can't be earned Favor is not earned, it is found in Scripture, in God. You cannot earn favor with God, you find favor with God. It is forever, it can't be taken away. And it can't be manipulated, you can't manipulate the love of God. It is unconditional, and it stands fast. And so we give thanks to God because it is steadfast. In, In light of my life and the way that I've lived my life, man, I'm so glad that God's love is steadfast. Because I've been so unfaithful. Just over and over again. That's the story of the nation of Israel. That's your story, and that's my story. Is that we're just over and over again, we are unfaithful people. And yet God is steadfast in his love. And his love is full, and it is finished. It is perfectly demonstrated by Christ on the cross. Perfectly. And he cries out, it is finished, because it's a perfect demonstration uh, of God's love. He demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the way that this psalm gives us as a method, how is it that we are to give thanks to the Lord, is in verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So what's the primary way we give thanks? It's by saying it. It's by declaring it. It's by shouting it. It is by living our lives in such a way that it's obvious that we are redeemed. Speaking it is the primary way we give thanks. Think of Isaiah. When the coal touched his lips, the very next scene in that, in that playing out of events, he says, Lord, here I am. Send me. I want to proclaim your word. Or the Samaritan woman at the well, when she received uh, uh, eternal life through the living water that Jesus provides, she runs back and, say, and says to the, her village, Come, see the Christ. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Uh, I think also of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he says, What must I do to be saved? And Jesus tells him, Give up everything you own and come and follow me. And he goes away, what does it say? He goes away sorrowful, but he also goes away silent. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He goes away sorrowful and silent because he's not proclaiming the grace of God, the redemption of God. So where are you with that? How are you doing in saying so? Are you redeemed? If so, do you say it? Do your coworkers know that you're redeemed? Does your family know that you're redeemed? Even your immediate family, do, do you say it? Or is it it kind of an assumption? What about even here? We have so many opportunities to say so as we're singing these songs just now. So many opportunities to say so. I am redeemed. Every song we sing is an opportunity to shout out, I am redeemed. So when people watch you worship, can they see that you're redeemed? Can they see that you are saying so because you are redeemed? And then lastly, David. David is uh, another example of how the the redeemed of the Lord, they say so. They declare it. Um, David, when he kept silent, it says in Psalm 32, when he kept silent, he said, when I kept silent, your hand was heavy upon me. In other words, God wouldn't let him keep silent. When he kept his sin all balled up and he wouldn't confess it, he wouldn't let it go, He was keeping it silent, and and he thought he was keeping it hidden from God. Foolish notion. God put his hand heavy on him and pressed. And he said, your hand was heavy upon me. And then in Psalm 51, he says, but when I confessed it openly, I was forgiven. And not just forgiven, but he says, then... And I want to look at that. He says, uh, then once I was forgiven because I openly confessed my transgressions before the Lord and he forgave the iniquity of my sin, then what's the next thing that God does? Then I'm going to teach transgressors your ways and sinners are going to return to you. Because if I'm redeemed, I'm going to say so. And if I say so, people are going to hear that message. And the word of God is not returned void. And so people will be saved. Open my lips O Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. That's what David says after he's redeemed, after he is saved, he says so. Now, in the rest of this psalm, there are four portraits, and that's what we're going to look at, these four portraits of the redeemed. There's uh, the first one in four through nine, and then kind of groups of five, six, seven, eight verses. Uh, It tells of these four different folks that are pictures of what it looks like to be redeemed. And so we're going to look through those, and there's a pattern in each one of them. So if you kind of just let your eye fall over those, there's a pattern I want you to see. If you look in verses 4 and 10 and 17 and 23, you'll see it introduces a new character. So some wandered in desert wastes, okay? Verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. Verse 17, some were fools through their sinful ways. Verse 23, some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters, and they saw the deeds of the Lord. We're going to take a look at these four folks just very briefly, but I want to establish this pattern. It starts out by introducing this portrait. And then it it, it says that it kind of explains what trouble they're in, what distress they're in, and then immediately goes into, then they cried out to the Lord. If you look at verse uh, 6, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And over and over, in each one of those, you'll find that phrase. Then they cried out to the Lord in their, in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And then the next um, pattern that you see is let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Look at verse 8. For his wondrous works to the children of man. So then comes thanksgiving. After redemption comes thanksgiving. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's the pattern that we're going to look at. Now, when you see these four characters as they come up, we're going to look at the weary wanderer and the perishing prisoner. We'll see uh, the sick sinner and the frightening fool. One of the things that brought to mind is Psalm one, and if you blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, and the, the one who is blessed meditates on the Lord day and uh, meditates on the the word of God day and night, and uh, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. God's covenant with his people it wasn't a hey if you ever sin just in case just in case if you were to ever sin i know you're probably not going to but just in case you ever were then here's what will happen. If you if you if if you uh, disobey me then there's going to be this curse. It's not really an if as much as it is when. When it happens What's going to happen? And when you then call out, not if you call out and ask for forgiveness, but when you call out and ask for forgiveness, then I will answer you. And that's the way the covenant worked. God knew, God knew in the covenant that they would, be, they would betray him and they would be unfaithful. But he knew that he would be steadfast. So that's an encouraging word to us And it's not shocking when we fail. But it's also not shocking when God succeeds. Man, we need to trust that. We need to trust that. Now, when it goes into this refrain of they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. We have a uh, five-week-old, so we know a lot about crying right now. And it's been a lot of fun. Our, one of our first uh, nights home from the hospital, um, I think I got up in rapid succession like five or six times for her crying. And, and eventually I was like, all right, little girl, if I have to come over here one more time because you're crying, I'm going to come over here. And I'm gonna give you whatever you want because I'm gonna make you happy. And so I uh, broke pretty quick. Um, but I think, you know, when we cry out to the Lord, He probably has more resolve than I do. Um, and yet, um, it is like that that, that, that kind of still holds true. And that when you, child of God, when you cry out to the Lord, what do you think He hears? When my baby girl cries out, I I didn't know this until just recently, but there's just something that kind of like clicks and you're like, oh, I have to do something about this and quickly. (laughs) And it could be that it's just annoying and I want it to stop, but there's also just something that when her little, when she lets out that little cry, it just turns my heart, right? It moves my heart. And that's the same way it is with God, If you're his child, when you cry out to him, it moves his heart. Genuinely moves God's heart. And that's the pattern that we establish. When you cry out to God, he saves us from our distress. If you'll turn over to Psalm 116, just a couple pages, and look at verses 1 and 2. I want you to see this. I love the Lord, the psalmist says, because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live wow what a beautiful relationship God's people have with him that when you cry out he listens he inclines his ear to hear you child of god it's a beautiful picture and the crying out of the redeemed in the psalms it may include how long o lord It may include, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It may even include, how long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? Every single one of those is in the Psalms. It's okay to say those things when you're crying out to the Lord. But we always end with, save me, oh God. It's a trust, it's a a knowing that God will save. He is confident, his love is steadfast, and he will save. There's a confidence that comes when the people of God cry out to him. This first section of four through nine describes the weary wanderer, the weary wanderer. Some wondered, it says in verse 4, in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. They were hungry, they were thirsty, their soul fainted within them, and then what did they do? They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Therefore, you might say in verse 8, Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. I'm kind of an outdoorsman. I love thinking about things like survival and stuff. And I I use this often with my students. Uh, If you think about how long you could survive maybe without food. Most people say about three weeks or so. And then how long you should survive without water. About three days or so, give or take. How long can you survive without air? Maybe three minutes or so. But as believers, how long can you survive without Christ upholding you by the word of his power? Not three milliseconds. Not any milliseconds. I mean, you cannot survive unless Jesus Christ Himself is upholding you by the word of His power. Is what Colossians says. Is God is holding us together. He created us. He spoke us into existence. And so, without the word of His power, we would cease to exist, or I don't know, fly into entropy. Whatever that would look like, it would. We would be destroyed. You cannot survive without. The word of God. We are completely dependent on him. And that's what this first character sees. The weary wanderer, he sees that I am absolutely dependent on God. Every time you take a a bite of food, remember, without this I would be dust. I'm dependent on God. Every time you take a, a drink of water, I'm totally dependent. Every breath you take is a reminder. I'm totally dependent on God. And what does Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We cannot survive without God's word sustaining us and carrying us and holding us and giving us life. And so it is right for the weary wanderer to find their satisfaction and their hope in the word of God. In Jesus Christ. It's a good thing that God lets us feel pain when we're hungry. Maggie lets us know when she's hungry. There's hunger pangs. We call it that for a reason. She gets upset. She cries out. You do too. You don't like to go without food. I definitely don't like to go without food. No one of us do. It's a good thing that God lets us feel that. So think about that in terms of salvation. It's a good thing that God lets you feel the longing of your soul. You were created to be satisfied by Jesus Christ and him alone. That's the way God made you. And so this first character, this weary wonder, he begins to feel that. He begins to feel, oh, wow, I need, I desperately need God. And as he feels that, he hungers and he thirsts. It says, his soul hungers and it thirsts and he pleads for God. He cries out, God, I need you. And God answers in his cry and rescues him. If you're redeemed, it's because Jesus Christ let you feel your need for him. Praise God for that. If that's true of you, then let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let it be known that he satisfied your longing soul. Give thanks for the Lord has satisfied your longing soul. This second character, we're going to move through these quickly. The second character is this perishing prisoner. This perishing prisoner, this is 10 through 16. He is sitting in darkness under the shadow of death. He's a prisoner in affliction and in irons. He's shackled. He's bound. There's nothing he can do to break free. And why is it, look at verse 11, because he had rebelled against the words of God. And so he is a perishing prisoner of his own doing. His own um, rebellion against God brought him here. Now remember, this is the context of being in exile If you're disobedient, then God will scatter you across the earth. And that's exactly where this guy found himself. He's in a foreign prison somewhere with no hope. And yet God hears his cry. It doesn't matter who the guard is to that jail. God is the one who's in control of all things. And he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord rescued him from his trouble and delivered him from his distress, Rebelling against God's design and authority, it feels right to some people. It feels like, no, nobody should have control over me. And so I'm not going to submit myself to any kind of law or authority figure. It feels right to rebel. But the deception there is: when you rebel against God's authority, you're rebelling against your design. And you're making yourself a slave to sin. It seems like if I submit to God's authority and I try to do everything everything he says, I I make myself do everything he says, or I say, uh, you know, I'm going to do everything he says, that that feels like slavery. That's not slavery, that's freedom. If you submit yourself to your design, you're going to operate the way that you should operate. But if you... Rebel against God's authority. You're rebelling against your very design. And so that brings slavery. And so he, found, he finds himself in shackles. He found, finds himself enslaved to sin. Sitting in darkness, awaiting the shadow of death as it passes over him. And then he remembers, oh, in my father's house is all these blessings that I could have. Look at the prodigal son. And he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord rescues him. The Lord saves him. If you're redeemed, it's because Jesus Christ has showed you that you were a slave to sin. He let you know that. He let you see that, and you realize, oh, I thought I was free, but I've been enslaved to this sin. I'm absolutely controlled by it. I can't do anything about it. I am stuck here, and I have no power to break free. And then he says, cry out to me and I will save. That's exactly what happened to you. These pictures are pictures of you. You were the weary wanderer. You were the perishing prisoner enslaved to sin with no hope in a foreign land. If you're redeemed, it's because God showed you that darkness of your soul. You cried out. And he burst the bonds of your enslavement. Hallelujah! Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Give thanks to the Lord because He has broken your the, your your shackles. He has liberated your rebellious heart. And then this third picture, beginning in verse seventeen, this this is a picture of a of a sick sinner of a sick sinner. John Owen, he says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. John Owen was a Puritan. He understood very well that the most destructive force against your soul is your sin. It is horrifyingly destructive. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Paul says in the New Testament, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air. You were dead in sin. Your sin has made you sick, it has made you afflicted. And that's where we find this picture. But in verse 19, he cries out to the Lord in his trouble, and the Lord delivered him from his distress. But I want you to notice in verse 20, what is it that he sends to heal him? That's what he needs. He needs healing. He's sick with sin. He needs healing. What is it he sends to heal him? Verse 20, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. It is the word of God that created you. It is the word of God that sustains you. And when you are broken, when you are sinful, when you are perishing, when you are sick with sin. In the shadow of death, it is the word of God that heals you. That heals you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. Do you see why it's so important that the redeemed of the Lord say so? If that's the only power that there is to break your shackles and to heal you of your, of, your, of your illness, and the whole world is sick, and the whole world is enslaved, and the whole world is wandering around wearily, then we have to declare it. We have to because it's the only thing that has the power of God to set us free and to heal us and to bring us into a city that's worth dwelling in. And so let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you are redeemed, that's because God has opened your eyes to see that you were on the brink of death, sick in your sin. You cried out, He sent His word, and He heals you. That is the testimony of every single believer in this room. of every single believer ever, ever, is that God sent His word. Now it'll look different for everybody. I was saved at a conference where a guy got up and preached the word. Maybe you were saved by a friend sharing the word with you. Maybe you found a Bible somewhere and you picked it up and you read it. And you were saved by the word. You see the theme is that God sends out his word. And who does he send it through? He sends it through the redeemed. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What, how encouraging. And then this last picture this frightened fool. Beginning of verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships. We're talking about a mariner here. He's doing business on the great waters. He's courageous. He's bold. He's out to sea. They, then he sees, or they see the deeds of the Lord. His wondrous works in the deep. Now you had to kind of stick with me with this one. Verse 25. For he commanded, for God commanded and raised the stormy winds, which lifted up the waves of the sea. So the storm blows in, and God is the one who conjured it. God is the one who created it. Uh, and then they are tossed in these waves. Look at verse 26. They mounted up to heaven, and they went down to the depths. And so they are, their world is being rocked. They're seeing the mighty hand of God on display in this sea, and they're being rocked. And their courage melted away. In their pride, they thought, I'll just go out to sea and make my profits and make my living. And and, uh, this is, you know, I'll go into town and do trading and and, uh, make so-and-so amount of money, right? And so he's prideful in his arrogance. He's courageous in his own abilities. And the Lord shows him his power. And he sees that and his courage melts. And that is what exposes pride in him. He humbles himself. Verse 28, he cries out to the Lord. It took a lot for this guy to come to the end of himself. If you look at verse 27, they're being tossed on these waves. They're being raised up to the heavens and dropped down to the deeps, and they're being tossed on them. And they reeled, they staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wits' end. It literally is uh, their their wisdom is swallowed up by the sea. They just went dumb. Like They're so like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? You know, they're, they're just struck with... Uh, ignorance They don't have a clue what to do. They're at their wit's end. And that's what it took to get him to the end of himself. And then he cries out to the Lord in his distress. And he saves him. And that is your picture too. If you're redeemed, that is what happened to you. Is that God brought you to the end of yourself. He humbled you of your pride. So that in due time he can exalt you. You cried out to him. You were saved. It's often that the Lord has to disquiet our soul so that he can then bring in a, a healing, peaceful word to bring calm to our hearts and calm to our souls. So you were the frightened fool. Give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord for calming your fearful spirit. Those are the four portraits in the psalm, the four portraits of the redeemed, and this is describing you. Now I want you to look down at verse 43, because I want to bring this to Christ. Verse 43 says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Of everything that's been said, In these four pictures, pay attention. Listen to this. Attend to these things. If if you want to be wise, listen up. And then he says, let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This psalm says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now let's consider that steadfast love. And I want to consider it as it has been shown and revealed in Jesus Christ. So this first picture, this weary wanderer, Israel, that, they were this weary wanderer. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years in the desert. And they cry out, God saves them. They are now weary and wandering in exile. They cry out, and God saves them. Now, how does that get to Christ? And how does it get to you? Well, Jesus, he also wandered around the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was tempted in every way just as we are. And yet he was without sin. And so he perfectly fulfilled this picture. As the perfect high priest who's able to save you from your sin. And not only that, but he is the bread of life. That sustains us. He himself gives him, offers himself to us as the, as the bread of life. You look at this second picture, this perishing prisoner. This is Egypt. This is Israel in slavery in Egypt. This is Israel and Judah in exile in Assyria and Babylon. They're carried away by a foreign nation and imprisoned. And this is you. And I want you to see how Jesus fulfills this. Because he's not lifted up with pride. He empties himself. Philippians 2 says, He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing or emptied himself by becoming a slave. Jesus became a slave in order to set you free. And he humbled himself even to the point of death and death on the cross so that God has highly exalted him. What does he say while he's on this earth? He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he also says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He is the truth that sets us free. He is our way out of slavery and imprisonment. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you're redeemed, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, that you've been set free by Jesus Christ. This third picture this sick sinner, this is Israel outside the camp. They're not welcome because they are um, sick. And they're cast out of the city. They're cast out of the camp. This is, again, the nation in exile, carried away. And Jesus fulfills this by being our great healer. Think of all the people he set free from their illnesses. He has power over all those things. He is the great healer. He is, John says, in the beginning was the word. God sent out his word to heal. He is the word who heals us. And it's by his wounds that we are healed. So you find yourself now as a sinner who is afflicted, Your sin. Maybe God is opening your eyes to that even now. Maybe you can't say, I'm redeemed because you've never been redeemed. You never cried out in your trouble and in your distress to the Lord and Him answer you. Maybe you find yourself there right now. The Lord is sending out His word and it is the power to save, to heal, to heal us and make us new. And then this frightened fool. This is Israel. They witness wondrous works over and over and over again and they always return to their sin. If you look at Psalm 106, back up and look at verse 40. When they find themselves in sin, the anger of the Lord is kindled against his people. He's angry with them. He abhorred. His heritage. He gave them into the hand of nations who carried them away, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Many times, verse 43, skip down 43, many times he delivered them. And they should be thankful. They should be, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. And is that not your story as well? How many times have you cried out to the Lord in distress? How many times has he answered you in your trouble? Man, praise God for his steadfast love. Praise God for his steadfast love. That we are such fools. Even after having received redemption, there's so often that we fall back into sin. And yet we cry out to the Lord and he saves us. Hallelujah. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Praise God for his great works. Lastly, let me just leave you with this. How does Jesus fulfill that? He's no fool. He's no fool. When the sea is being tossed, where do you find Jesus? He's asleep in the back of the boat. He has absolute confidence in the sovereignty of God. In whatever his circumstances, no matter how high those waves, no matter how strong those winds, he has absolute confidence in the sovereignty of God. And so he's asleep in the back of the boat. That's how he fulfills this. But that's not only, that's not the only way he fulfills it. What does he then say? when he sees the storm tossed, and they wake him up in their panic, what does he say? Peace be still. And he calms it. Not only does he demonstrate absolute trust in God's sovereignty, I don't know what you are going through, what storm that is tossing you up and causing you to doubt God's Goodness or his sovereignty, maybe his existence. Do you look on that storm with confidence in the sovereignty of God? Or do you let it bring you to your wits' end? Know that God is the one who brought that storm, God is the one who allowed those winds to come in and to toss up those waves and know that Jesus Christ is the one who can reach out and say, peace be still. Give thanks to God for his steadfast love. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's pray. Father, you are so Powerful and awesome and we stand in, your, in, in the shadow of your mighty wings. And just knowing that how you are so faithful and so steadfast and kind to deliver us from out of our trouble. Lord, thank you that we can have confidence not only that you are in control, but that when we cry out to you that you hear us. And so, Father, I pray for those here now who are in the midst of that sickness or that wandering or that storm. I pray that they would cry out to you. Remind us, Lord, that you have thrown open the doors to salvation and that today is the day of salvation, and that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When they cry out in their trouble, you will hear them and answer them and deliver them from their distress. God, thank you that you've proven over and over your steadfast love. Help us to trust in you and rest in your uh, sovereign guidance over our lives. And may we give all the glory to Jesus Christ, our great healer, Our great Redeemer, we rightfully say that you have sent out your word, Jesus Christ. You did not even withhold your own son, but you gave him up willingly for us all. May we praise him and say so. In Jesus' name, amen.